Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here today. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Uh, while we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Hebrews, we're on chapter four today, uh, a very exciting chapter. And believe it or not, I'm actually going to go through the entire Bible going through chapter four of the book of Hebrews. And you um, like, hang in there. I hope you brought some lunch. So no, I'm just kidding. You'll be okay. But uh, this is a great uh, book of the Bible and a book that sometimes is very misunderstood because there's so much connection to the Old Testament scriptures and how Christ it, it not only fulfills those things, but supersedes those things. And it really helps us to gain an understanding of how powerful Jesus really is. One of the things we're going to talk about in the, and one of the threads you're going to see in, in chapter 4 is this idea of rest. One of our primary needs as human beings is rest. And Jesus is the fulfillment ultimately of rest. We're going to see as we go through this scripture how starting right from creation all the way to the coming of Christ, and even today, how Jesus wants to bring you rest. And so that's very exciting for me because Jesus makes a promise uh, that is a powerful promise. He starts in uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight: come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen? So that's a good thing. Well, let's pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit's help so that we can not only hear the word of the Lord today, but retain it. Amen. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. Living God, come today and fill us with your presence. God, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better so that we can know the hope to which you have called us, and we can know the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus, and we can know the great power for us who believe. God, we thank you for this as we go into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. So starting right at the beginning of chapter 4, we're going to go through literally the entire chapter 4 of Hebrews. And so let's start right at the beginning and hang in there as we start to see this thread of rest and faith, how faith connects to rest. Let's go through it together. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none be found have falling short of it. For we also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So we see this thread of faith and rest right away. Well, let's just start by talking about why is rest so critical in our world today? Well, we live in a world that overwork is the norm, you know? We spend 40 years of our lives working to achieve status, position, and comfort, and then we plan, you know, the big trip. We're saying we're going to go to like on the big trip now, but we're far too exhausted even to enjoy it. Kind of like this couple who finally got to Italy. <laughs> the gondola driver is just like, 
I'm just going to wait here. They seem to have found rest. And it's like, Grandpa, how was your trip to Italy? Best sleep I've had in 60 years, you know? So maybe, you know, maybe this whole sermon should be about go on your trips early while you still can enjoy that. But I think there's a much deeper picture for you and I to understand. You see, there's a drivenness in the hearts of mankind that cries out for the need of rest, true rest, deep rest, abiding rest. You know why? Well, we can point to in our day and age, a cultural, and we can point to a technological and and even, you know, a social reason right now. And, you know, we start to understand that there's a picture being painted in the world uh, that tells us this is really what it means to have rest. And so you see this picture coming to you constantly. If you achieve this level of success, if you have this much wealth, if you look this way, then you're really going to be, ah, oh, I have rest in my life. And that's just not true. You know, we've turned so much as a culture and as a people. Uh, there was a time and a day and age, and for anybody my age or, or older, you understand that, you know, there, there used to be a day, you know, where there was no work on Sunday. None. And if you didn't have money out of the bank by Friday, you weren't going out or paying or buying anything. People didn't really even have credit cards too much. That was something that kind of started to come after. Do you understand? Like you couldn't go to a store. You went to a convenience store, the only ones that were open, and you paid four times the price for butter, milk, whatever you needed. But people gathered with family. That was a point and a day of rest for people. And so, you know, that's changed. There's cultural reasons, you know. Guys, we're so driven now. Our whole value must be earned. It must be achieved. And, and we work and we work and we work and we strive to achieve it. And then we even have changed. You know, we used to be identified with our family history and our story of our family. And, and, and I remember every Sunday, every single Sunday, my mom would put on a huge roast beef dinner and we gathered as a family. That was just given. That's what we did. That's where we went. And, you know... But now, not only are we pressing and pushing and driving continually in our lives, but now we're putting that on our kids. You know, there's this over-parenting and, and over, you know, over, we're being overly cautious with our kids. And, and uh, even, you know, you know people, and I, we've all done it, and so I'm not trying to condemn you here, but, you know, we get home from work and we're working hard and we're working, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and doing that. And then our second job begins when we get home. And usually that second job is driving your kids to one of the 14 clubs that they're part of. And then if you have more than one kid, oh my gosh, you're both going in two different directions and you're pushing and driving this narrative. And even our success is pushed onto our children. You follow what I'm saying? And I, I, I played all kinds of sports as a kid. I'm going to tell you, I don't think my mom ever came to a single game. I won provincial championships in hockey. I'm not even sure if my mom was at that game. Uh, my dad sometimes came, but you know what the dads would do? They would phone other parents, you want to drive this week? You know, there's nothing wrong in my mental psyche about my parents not being in any part of the, my sports life growing up. I never thought about it. It was never a loss. It was never missed. You understand? So we got so much of our identity wrapped up. You know, we go on vacations and we return. Anybody ever done this? You go on a vacation, you return more broke, more tired, 
and more frustrated. Anybody ever gone on that vacation? Well, I have, and I'm telling you, that's not what it means to rest. It's interesting, the word rest. You know, we need rest physically, emotionally, socially. Our soul cries out for rest. I love this definition. Rest means to settle down. Finding our home center, ceasing from our labor. You know, the ultimate rest is the promise of rest is found in a thing called faith in God. And it's interesting that in our church, I love that definition of rest, finding your home or your center. You know, one of the things we say about our mission statement is the reason we exist as a church is to help people find their way home to God. Because we know that the final place of rest only comes as we enter and abide in this thing called faith and understand that in our lives. So the promise of rest is this promise of faith. In our chapter today, we're going to find out that eight times in 11 verses, the word rest is used. Now, I'm going to give you a hint about reading your Bible. When the Scriptures repeat a word over and over and over again, there's something God is trying to say to you. And so rest, guys, is this critical thing in our lives that we need to grasp and understand. Well, the rest of God starts right at the beginning. We're going to see this journey through the Bible. The rest of God begins at the fall of humanity. Well, it actually begins before it, but you're going to see our need of rest at the fall of humanity. What's absolutely amazing is Hebrews chapter 4 actually tells us about that time. It says, somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again in the passage above, it says, they shall never enter my rest. So God designs mankind. He speaks things into existence. He creates the world with the power of his word from chaos and darkness. He speaks order and light, and then He creates mankind, and 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 mankind is abiding and watching God rest. They're watching this incredible relationship with God. Adam and Eve are created, and the Bible says they walked in, they were naked. They walked with God in the garden day and night, and they felt no shame. And what that's talking about is they had a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with their environment, a perfect relationship with one another, and this was the intention of God, this idea of walking with God in this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. And the intent of God was that that garden life would begin to grow and spread over all the earth. So they start in this Garden of Delights, this place the space on earth, and God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Guys, this was God's intent that this place of abiding in the restful place with God, this peaceful place with each other. You know, guys, we had incredible relationship with God at the beginning of time. We had an incredible relationship with one another. We had an amazing purpose to fill the earth with the goodness of God for the good of mankind. That was our intent. That was our work. Our work was to serve and to see the, the, this goodness of God spread over all the earth. And, and we had an incredible just, you were created in the image of God. You were all image bearers. And you looked like God. You knew you were accepted. You knew you were secure. You knew you were significant. 
And then there was something God said. As He created this Garden Eden place, He created one tree, and He had to create this tree because He had to give us free choice. You can choose to abide in this place of rest with God, or you can choose your own path. God gave one commandment. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you shall surely die. And so he plants this one tree. There's abundance everywhere in every direction, okay? You can go there. But, you know, like a kid, you know, God gives us this choice, but we're, you know, it's like a kid who's put in a backyard. You got a bunch of kids put in a backyard. The parents build a fence because there's a busy freeway on the other side. They don't want their kids getting out. And there's, you know, all, many kids just go and they play on the swing set and they play with the toys and it's awesome. They love the freedom they have in the backyard, but there's always that kid that stands by the fence. Wonder what my parents are trying to keep from me. There's good things on the other side of that fence. And you see them digging out, you know, they use the Tonka truck and they're digging out a hole to get under the fence. There's always that kid. And this is kind of the story of Adam and Eve. They're standing by the one tree that they shouldn't be standing beside. And the Bible tells that the tempter comes and tempts them and they give in to this temptation and they take their own advice over God's advice and they eat of the fruit of this tree. And the Bible says the moment that they did, they became aware and they felt shameful for their nakedness and they covered and they hid from God and they hid from each other. How many of you know we've been on that journey ever since, mankind? And this is the journey of rest that God is trying to call us back to. In that moment, a thing called sin entered the, the world of mankind. And this separation from God, we didn't die physically right away, but we died, our connection to God began to be severed, our, our love for one another, you know, we began to be separated that way. We, we lost harmony with our environment. All kinds of things happened in this moment when sin entered. And so God is calling us back to this original place of finding a rest in Him. And so many times we choose our own way or God's way. That's really what sin is. And you just need to grasp that and understand that. So we're going for thousands of years until Jesus comes and He begins to change our lives and we enter into the first stage of rest. And we have faith and we trust God. And if you were like me, you were, I was 20 years old, right, when I first got saved, eight days before my 21st birthday. And I came into this knowledge of God. I was looking for some answers in my life. And I, I, I was like, what is going on? Like, I, I wasn't, I was like, I didn't know how to live. It was like I was just kind of going through life. And I'm like, there's got to be something more. And when I came to a church like this, and I, I, I gave my life to Jesus, I said, Lord, you're making me promises of rest. I need that rest and when I said, Lord, forgive me of my sins, which is me trying to live my life on my own and come into my heart and, and forgive me and live with me, suddenly something radically changed. I found a level of rest. I was like, wow, this is the meaning of life. This is the purpose. This is what I was called for. And, and it, it was so awesome, this starting place of rest. 
coming back into a relationship with God is it could be that easy. Yes, it is. Let me read it to you. Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you can profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. Simple. So this level of rest, this coming into a relationship with God, this excitement that suddenly starts to happen in our life. My wife reminded me after the first service that when she first got saved, uh, that she went to a church and they didn't put the, the song. I don't know why. I don't even want to talk about this so much, but they wouldn't put the lyrics to songs on the overhead because back then when they had overhead projectors, you know, that was just something wrong. I, I don't know what it was, but you had to know the song. So she's in a church service and she can't really understand the songs as they're being sung, but she's so excited. She's so filled with joy that her life has changed. She's found this level of rest. And so they were singing, uh, they were singing, um, victory, victory shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace, the Lord will fight my battles. Victory, victory shall be mine. She couldn't understand what they were saying. So she changed the words. (laughs) Victory, victory shopping mall. (laughs) Victory, victory shopping mall. If I hold my peace. She's holding a credit card. The Lord will fight my... No, she wasn't, but... She just was so excited. She just wanted to sing. So she was singing, and she got so excited at the end, she said, charge it. No, she didn't do that. But you understand, she was like, she just wanted to sing this song because of the joy in her her heart. And this is the starting journey of the rest that she was finding, coming home to the Lord. She made the mistake of telling me that in between services. So I said, I'm adding that back in, Betty. That's a a good one. You know, there's another level of rest that talks about in this scripture. The rest needed because of our lack of trusting God and putting our faith in our self-effort. So we come back to God. We've been forgiven of our sins. We come into this incredible relationship with God, and then we go on this journey. And, uh, you know, this, uh, we're following the journey of the Old Testament saints, the, the believers in God, and this is what they did. And we're going to find that our lives parallel them as new, believing, uh, new Christians in the New Testament. So this is what it talks about in Hebrews 4, carrying on. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This is when he did a long time later when he spoke through David on the passage. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day. Okay, so we're going to go back now to the Old Testament and and God has made a way, like he, He's removed them from the Garden of Eden now. They've had their relationship severed. He's promising a Savior who's going to come and deliver them and set them free and bring them back home to Himself. That's a promise of the Old Testament. But in the meantime, He says, I'm going to set a law around you to keep you safe. And, you know, it's kind of like the emergency break of mankind. And he's like, okay, guys, until that Redeemer, until that Savior comes, you know, you need to abide under these laws and trust me that I'm going to deliver you. And so what happens was, rather than abiding under, you know, those laws, they tried to fulfill them themselves. And God never intended that. The law was given to point us 
to our need of a Savior. But we, oh, no, we can do this. So we move from our selfishness, we get saved, and then we go on this journey. God gives us the law, and we think we can live up to it. So we start to do all these commandments. We start to live up to all these things. We work harder and harder. See, God, am I good enough now? Do you accept me now? Is this it? We look for a promised land. We look for a blessing in our life, and we, and we go down this journey of self-effort. So we move from selfishness. Now we're moving to self-righteousness. And so many people and so many church people and so many, not even Christians, in every religion in the world, people are on this journey of self-righteousness. If I work hard enough, I will reach God. And when they come to this place called the promised land, God says, okay, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. I'll be with you. Walk in it. And they, they freak out. Oh, no, there's giants there. We can't do that. We can't take that land. It's too big for us. They're focused on self again. And God says, you guys, you know, you better listen. And they say, no, we can't do it. And God says, okay, until you, all, you, all the men of fighting age are dead, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So they tried this self-effort, and it didn't work. So now they're wandering in circles around and around and And God's like, are you tired yet? No, I can go further. Are you tired yet? No, I can make it. I can be self-righteous. I can can find, I'll please you, God. I'll earn what you have for me, God. No. Now, here's the thing. They hear this proclamation from God, and there's always the the guy that says, I give up. I die. God, forgive me. And, And back in the Old Testament, they died physically. But we as the New Testament saints, we we try to please God. We try to work our head off to please God. We finally come to a point of, of saying, I can't do this, and I give up. And God says, way to go. You finally made it. You see, they, they went on a journey to get to the promised land. They thought everything would be fulfilled when they got to the promised land. But you know, there was still another rest another level for them to go. The author of Hebrews warns us that our best self-efforts don't measure up. You can't do it on your own, guys. You never were intended. We get, did, you get, did you earn your salvation? Nope. You think you're going to earn God's favor after you're saved? It's all by faith. It's all by trusting Him. So then they get to the promised land. They think, I've arrived. You know, many believers are like that today. Uh, Look at how mature I am. Look what I'm doing. I've got everything worked out. I read my Bible once a year. I go to church. I tithe. Look at how good I am, Lord. But unfortunately, you're not quite there yet. Because Joshua says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And so they go to the promised land, and for a while they're walking with God, but then quickly they, they blow it, and quickly they make a mistake, and quickly they turn inward and go selfish and self-centered again. And God's like, no, you're not quite getting it yet. Self-righteousness will never make you right with God. Is there a deeper level of rest? Well, there's a rest that comes by dying to our own self-effort and completely trusting God on our behalf. Hebrews 4 says it this way, for if Joshua, now who's Joshua? Oh, let me read it first. 
had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There therefore remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Remember I told you eight times the word rest is repeated, but the eighth time it's spoken, or this time it's spoken, uh, he actually changes the word. And he uses the word Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest just means a coming to a place of utterly abandoning selfishness and self-centeredness. It's coming to a place of I'm no longer in charge, but I trust God in my life. Now, Joshua is the one who led them to the promised land. It's interesting that Moses led them through the wilderness. Moses represents the law. The law will never take you into the promised land. You see, the Old Testament is a picture for us of what you and I are to live as Christians. So we get to that promised land and Moses can't go in because the law can't earn it. You can't earn it on your own. But Joshua leads them in and they come into this relationship. Joshua is actually a picture of Jesus. It's the Old Testament picture of Jesus who's about to come on the scenes. And again, they take that promised land, but it's not fully arriving at a place of Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest is dying to my self-centeredness, my self-righteousness of really coming to that place where I'm no longer in charge. Look at how Paul, who's come to this realization, speaks about it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a promise. I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to read it in the Message Bible and a couple verses around it. But just listen. It's not going to come up on the screen. I just want you to listen to what the place where Paul arrived. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identify myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. It is a life lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Wow. So he comes to this place of abandonment, of trust and rest. And guys, I was, I was talking about that promised land. Remember when they're on the journey, there's the guy that died right off the bat and said, I'm done, God, forgive me. And that's your life and my life. Sometimes we're, we're, we get saved and we're led on a wilderness experience until we die to self and self-effort. And we start trusting God more and more and more. And I want to be that guy that dies quickly, amen? I don't want to have to go through 40 years in the wilderness. I want to find God now. That's why Hebrews 4 tells us this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. 
so that no one will be perished by following their example of disobedient. Guys, doesn't that, make, doesn't that just like contradict everything I just said? Make every effort to rest. Make every effort to rest. And what he's saying here, guys, is make every effort to stop looking at yourself as the answer. You're not the solution. You couldn't save yourself, and you can't keep yourself saved. You have to come back to a place of constantly trusting God. You know, First John talks about, and you can read this on your own, he talks about levels of maturity in the church, and he says, I speak to you babes because you know him who is from the beginning. He's talking about when we're in brand new Christians. You know God. Oh, wow, look at how exciting this is. I know God. Wow, wow, wow. And then he talks to spiritual adolescents. And he says, I speak to you, young men and young women, because the word of God dwells in you, right? You, you, you've understood and you're overcoming and you're overcoming the enemy through your efforts and through the things. And, and we're in that, that wilderness period. We're learning, we're striving, we're trying to get better. And then he does something which is incredible. He speaks to the spiritually mature and he says, I speak to you fathers and you mothers because you've known him who's from the beginning. The point of maturity is when you come back to a place of being a babe. When you come back to a place of simply trusting God. I can't do it on my own, God. I thought I could. You know, it's incredible. People move through that maturity. Some can move very quickly. They go from babes right to maturity because they never stop trusting God. And then there's some people in the church that have been, I've been a Christian for 40 years. And, and you look at them, and God looks at them, guys, and they're, they're spiritual babes still. They got full-on whiskers and a beard and a bottle of milk stuck in their mouth. And when pastor says, you know, if you don't like that worship song, no, they want to pull the bottle out of their mouth, so they grow up. <laughs> Just picture that when your baby's drinking milk, that full-body whiskers going on, and give me my milk, pastor. Okay, a little too, little too vivid. <laughs> so the real question is, how do you and I enter Sabbath rest? Can you believe that Hebrews chapter 4 actually tells us how? God's Word is so amazing, you guys. By letting the Word uncover God to us and uncover us. This is how it goes on. Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God, guys, is so powerful. It starts first by uncovering God to us. It reveals God to us. It's why I prayed that prayer for you at the beginning. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better. We can know the hope. We can know the gifts. We can know the grace. 
God. The Word of God reveals God's love for you, church. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that Greg should not perish, but find everlasting life. You can put your own name in that. Amen? The Word of God reveals the tender mercies of God because of the tender mercies of our God by which we are coming and knowing the King of glory. You can read about that in Luke 1, The Word reveals His kindness, for it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not working your head off. It's not earning salvation. It's trusting God. And even when you fail and even when you fall, it's knowing that He's going to meet you in that place if you will but call upon His name. The Word of God reveals that everything we need is found in Jesus it says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. The Word of God reveals who God is, you guys. And then the Word of God reveals who you are. And it starts by revealing the good things of now who you are. The Bible says that you're a new creation, church. The old is gone, the new is here. You know, all your past sins, all your past failures, all the things you've done wrong, if you'll but give it to God, you enter into that first stage of rest and you keep trusting Him. You're new. God is restoring the broken, marred identity that was destroyed at the fall. God is redeeming your life. God is doing incredible things. He's building back the relationships that have been broken and made threadbare. He's putting you back on purpose so that you don't just live for yourself. You live for the good of others. Woo! That's good stuff. (laughs) He's uncovering. He's revealing I'm a new creature. He calls you a saint. Oh my goodness, if you want to realize how powerful God is, God calls those things that are not as though they were. He looks at your life and he says, you are my saints. And then if you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, oh my gosh, these saints are not behaving very well. But God still calls them saints. Why? He's speaking to your new identity. He's saying, stop living that low life. You're called to a new life. You can be free from that old life. Hallelujah. He calls us accepted, secure, significant, beloved. He adopts you into his family. You who's broken and marred and and you're not living the the way you should. God's saying, I'm going to adopt you and I'm going to train you through the power of my spirit and my son coming into your life. I'm going to begin to transform your life. And it's going to take a lifetime. Amen? Amen. And he also reveals to us and convicts us where we're turning back to our selfishness and self-centeredness. Now, when I first got saved and the Holy Spirit would convict me of when I was being selfish or self-centered, do you know what I did? Well, I hid from it for a while. I blamed other people. The woman, Betty you put here with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. Deal with her, God. How many of that didn't work? Right? 
it's like, the, it's like this light. I can't even see if you guys are responding to me. It's like the glory of God's up here. It's like, I don't even know if you left. You could leave right now, and I wouldn't even know it. I'd be like <laughs> preaching to nobody, and I'd be like, come on, people. <laughs> anyway, you're, it, 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 you're all alone when you stand before God. Are you following me? He's revealing those things to you and to me. He convicts us, but he doesn't convict us to condemn us or kill us. He convicts us so that we'll get back on track. And our getting on track is not trying harder, because that's the other thing I tried to do. I'll work harder, God. Give me another chance. How many times did I repent and say, God, give me another chance? God, I'm sorry I did it again. Ah, God, don't stop. Don't stop loving me. God's like, I've never stopped loving you. I need you to stop trying to fix this yourself. And I need you to come to a place of, you know, doing a 180. And the 180 is not working harder, trying harder. The 180 is, God, I cannot do this without you. I turn back to Christ. This is the call of God on your heart and on my heart and our life. He's not convicting you to condemn you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's only life, life abundant. God shows up in our places of brokenness and pride. And he says, are you tired yet? Do you need rest? Are you going to keep striving? Are you going to trust me? Amen? This is the call of God, you guys, the journey of rest that you and I are on. Hallelujah. So what do I do? What do I do with that conviction, Pastor Greg? What do I do with when I know I'm being selfish and I know I'm self-centered? Well, you give it to God, and that's how our scripture ends. Isn't the word of God amazing? It says, the Word of God reveals how Christ uncovers us so that He can then cover us. The Word is revealing, but look how it ends. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us turn firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy to find and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the final rest for the believer is coming to a place of faith rest. That when I sin, my first response should be to go to my father. I don't know about you, but when I first started this journey, when I sinned, I did everything else. I can't go to God now. Look at me. That's the wrong attitude. We need to run into the arms of our father, even when we blow it. And you know what's going to happen, you guys? It's not that, you know, ha, 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 I can just blow it and go to my father. That's a lie. Because when you sin, it's going to hurt you. When you're selfish or self-centered, has anybody figured out that doesn't work? But you're going to get tired of it eventually, and you're going to say, God has a better way. And I quickly turn from my selfishness and self-centeredness. And a matter of fact, I actually stop doing some selfish and self-centered things because I know there's only death waiting for me there. And so I want to go in and have life and life abundant. So I turn to the God who has nothing but grace for me when I need mercy. God is not that God that you picture going, oh, sinner, 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 sinner. 
(laughs) He says, saint, 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 welcome home. Come to me, just as you are. Let me read just this faith rest that we're being invited into. I'm just going to conclude with this, Hebrews 4. We conclude that there's still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. Amen? Church, listen to me. You know why God cannot meet you when you try to be self-righteous rather than trust in His righteousness? Because when you say, I'm going to work my head off and I'm going to please God and I'm going to earn your favor again, God, the minute you do that, you stop trusting in Christ's work on your behalf and you stand alone before God. You don't want to be doing that on that day when you meet Jesus. Well, Lord, I did this. I gave to my church. I tithe. I, I did all these things. I was kind to my kids. I paid for their education. And those are nice things. They're great. What you want to say when you get to eternity, Pastor Greg told me to say, I trust in Jesus. Why should I let you in? I trust in Jesus. Look at all these things you've done. I trust in Jesus. That's why he'll let you in. Repent. Turn away from yourself. And turn toward Christ. Amen? You see, Jesus is greater, church. Jesus is actually greater than your fear. He's greater than your sins. He's greater than your faults and failures. He's greater than your selfishness or your self-righteousness. He's greater than your anger. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than condemnation. He's greater than all of it. So I'm going to end with this invitation. It's not my invitation. It's Jesus' invitation. I started the sermon with this scripture, and I'm going to finish with this scripture, but I'm going to read it this time in the Message Bible. It's not going to come up on your screen. Here it is. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make a true and a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How many want that kind of rest? Amen? Let's go to prayer. God is calling you, his believers, his followers, to enter into a faith rest that is a continual faith rest. That's why God said in the book of Hebrews, as long as it is called today, enter into rest. And the word today means the ever-present now. How do I live this life as a Christian? What are the works I need to do? I constantly turn to God in the ever-present now. Every day, every moment, 
I keep turning back to God. I keep turning back to God. This is the call of God on your heart and life. So I'm speaking to you who are believers here, who are watching online. Listen to me. You've been on a journey of faith rest. It started when you got saved, and then you went through the wilderness a little bit. You went through the wilderness. You, you had to get over this trying to earn it yourself, do it yourself. And then you get to the promise line. You think, well, look at how great I am now. I've arrived. And God's like, there's still a deeper rest. It's a rest of trusting me every day, every moment. Every moment, come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.